0: Okay, so we're in uh, part two of Roof, and the book of Roof is, 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 I said last week, one of my favorite books, and the reason, another reason is, uh, for that is because this is a book that you could sit around uh, a t- coffee table and go over this whole book in an hour and, and just comb over it and get, get, get a lot out of it. But it's also a book that you could study and break down and spend weeks on. Like we're going to do. Uh, So that's the beauty of Ruth. But the, the, the ultimate beauty is it's the gospel. It's the gospel in the Old Testament. It shows how God moves and works in the lives of people. And that he's got a plan to save mankind. So... I'm not sure about you, but I don't have a perfect marriage, right? And do you know why? Because I'm in it, because I'm involved in it. That's why I don't have a perfect marriage, because I'm a part of it. If I wasn't a part of it, it probably would be perfect, but I'm a part of the marriage. So it makes it not perfect. You know, you can ask Shelley. she's not here today, but if you ask Shelley, it's almost daily sometimes hourly, that I say st- something stupid or mean and then walk out of the room. Because I don't realize I've done it. But then, at some point, the Holy Spirit slaps me over the face and, and um, now I'm faced with a choice. I'm faced with a choice. I can stop, turn around, and walk back into the room and I can admit that I'm wrong. I could seek forgiveness and reconciliation or I can keep on walking. You know, and I'll say, on good days, it only takes one slap. But sometimes, the, the Holy Spirit takes me back behind the woodshed and really does a number on me, you know, to make me realize That I'm wrong. Because I don't know about you. But it's hard to seek forgiveness. Because it's hard to turn back. Because if you have to seek forgiveness. You have to admit what? You're wrong. And nobody likes to admit that that we're wrong. I grew up with a mum that was always right. And I inherited that from her. It's not a good trait. Especially when 90% of the time, you probably are right. But it's that 10% that gets you into trouble. Because you think you're still right. And no argument ever is worth fighting Because you are right. It's better off just to think you're wrong and just move on. See, that's why I think we also struggle with repentance. Because to repent means we have to admit we're wrong. It's so much easier to dig in our heels and go down the wrong path. Adamant, adamant to, to the end and still clinging on to what? Pride. Because that's why we don't want to admit we're wrong. Because we're prideful human beings. See, it's much easier to, to just dig in and not do anything than, than, than to say... I'm sorry, I was wrong. See, people love to say things like this. I live my life with no regrets. How many people think that that's a good statement? That is a horrible statement. You know, you hear it all the time. I meet with families for doing funerals. Oh, they lived their life with no regrets. Well... Okay, you know. So you've heard people say that though. You've heard people say that. And maybe sometimes you've said it. But what you are saying is that you're so proud that you wouldn't even take back your worst mistakes. The most offensive crimes that you've ever committed. And the worst things that you've said and done. When you say... I live my life with no regrets. That's how proud you are when you say stuff like that. That that you've lived right. And no regrets. I may be wrong, but I'd rather be arrogantly wrong... Than to change. My dad was good at at this. He he used to say. I'm too old to change. That's another bad statement. So if you're old and you say. I'm too old to change. You need to stop saying it. Because you're never too old to change. You're never too old. You just don't want to. You're saying things, we're saying things like that because it's more, temp, it's more tempting for us to go down in a fight wrong than to, to admit we're wrong. You see, to repent means to seek forgiveness and to Change. It doesn't mean just to seek forgiveness. It means to seek forgiveness and to change. Because these things are hard. We have to admit we're wrong. It's my fault and I shouldn't have done it that way. So last week when we left Naomi, she was in a really, really bad place. Life was painful and life was bitter. Naomi had lost her husband and her two boys. There were no grandchildren. Naomi is left alone with her two daughter-in-laws who happen to be Moabite women. See, this was a bad situation for them. Some of the painful situations are caused by Elimelech's poor decisions. Some were caused by Naomi's poor decisions. There were some negative effects that because Of choices they made. But much of what happened to them seemed to be out of their control. God allowed it to happen to them. See, I think it's a little bit of everything. But I'm not going to dwell on it. And do you know why? Because the book of Ruth doesn't dwell on it. I mean, whoever wrote the book of Ruth doesn't seem to think that that was important. The why. The why they're in the situation they're in. He only spent five verses telling us what happened. And he's going to spend the next four chapters telling us what God is doing. And how God is pursuing Naomi even all the way to the fields of Moab. See, so when we left Mo- Naomi last week, we were wondering, will no- Naomi return? Will she be able to change and go back? Because even though the difficulties, she's been adamant in staying. Most historians say there was a, a seven-year famine. By the way, this happened at, at year 10. So for three years, by the way, Bethlehem, the house of bread, was being restocked prior to her deciding, hey, we better go back. So this must have been her last desperation moment that she decides, hey, maybe we should go back to Bethlehem. You see, returning is hard. So let's open the word of Ruth. Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, and see what happens. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on. The way to return to the land of Judah. You see, the turning point of Naomi's experience, she had heard in the fields. She just happened in Moab, in a field, to hear that the Lord had visited his people. She just happened. That happens a lot in the book of Ruth, by the way. Just happens. You See, God comes with a direct intervention into her circumstances. He's inviting her back. God is inviting her by letting her know that it's full. Come home. I mean, she just happens to hear just... By coincidence, in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people. Whose people? God's people, after all they've done. See, remember, this book was still written in the time of the judges. And, and, and if you want to understand it the best, is to read the book of Judges and go, why would God do anything good for his people? Because they're just as moronic as we are sometimes. See, this is a picture of true grace. Now, Naomi has another choice to make, doesn't she? Naomi can stay in Moab, or she can go back to the house of bread where she really belongs. She should have never left. The family should have never left. Left, You see, Naomi's response is common sense to, to her outward circumstances. But spiritually, it is a move towards the Lord. See, not away from him. See, right now in the story, God is putting the pieces together for Naomi, even though at this point, she isn't even aware of it. She merely is doing what is right for her. See, the fact that she's doing this is an interesting feature of the theology of this book. See, this isn't the faintest hint that total control is being exercised by God in a way that limits the freedom and activity of the people involved. The people still had freedom to make choices. Are they going to make the right choices? But as we go on in this book, we will see the detailed and delicate way in which God, in fact, works all their actions together into his glorious plan. And the more it seems to hide the hand of God, the more it actually affirms even more firmly his hand in all of it. You see, God's total sovereignty, the great theological insight that is revealed here in this story, is that God does not intermittently just showing up after we mess up his plans. No, God is working continuously to accomplish his purpose. You see, when you're at the end of your rope, Do you know who's at the other end? God. God is at the other end. This is something we always need to remember. God is always, always there. You see, this is the presence of God's grace. You see, some people would be tempted to call these two verses Naomi's good decision to go home. But the fact is that it's amazing that in the middle of her grief and pain, Naomi was able to hear the good news that God had visited his people. We can't even receive the good news without the grace of God. You see, the presence of God's grace is in our lives even when we don't see it. Last week, I, I, I told you how I became a Christian. But here's the thing is, this is what happens when you become a Christian. God has to wake you up. See, this is, this is the way I believe the Bible teaches salvation. I was saved Before I knew I was saved. I didn't have to say anything. God saved me. I say the first Sunday I accepted Christ. That's when I admitted that I was saved. The first Sunday. He actually saved me at the funeral I was at. Because... I don't even believe you can understand this book without the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you haven't got the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. And if you've got the Holy Spirit, you're saved. I didn't have to... There wasn't no magic prayer I had to pray or some statement I had to make. See, I, just like you, were dead to sin. Dad is dead. You can't do anything. God has to do everything. Just like he hardened Pharaoh's heart and softened Pharaoh's heart, he hardened my heart until a certain point and then he softened it. And he allowed the Holy Spirit to come inside of me so I could actually understand the message of salvation. He saved me. I didn't do anything. Neither did you. And he'd been saving me my whole life. I should have been dead when I was 18. I rolled the car three times this way, end to end, and three times this way. The only part of the car that was intact was the driver's seat. The back seat, it was a station wagon, was 40 or 50 feet out of it the, the folding back seat that's how hard this crash was. Every cassette tape, because that's when you had cassette tapes, was all over the field. I never got them back. Okay. I didn't believe in God. But do you know what I said when I got out the car and all I had was a cut until I kicked the door. And then I I, I ruined I did something to my ankle. I limped for 2 weeks afterwards I had to have a few stitches on my uh, eyebrow and that was it I looked at the car and said it looks like somebody had put their hand over me it was completely not messed up the rest of the car was completely trashed i don't say that was luck i say that god was saving me for later day he was in my story before i realized he was in my story he knew everything we can even go back further my dad decided when i was 7 years old that he needed work so where does he get a job rockford illinois Him and my mom divorce. Where do I come to visit him? Rockford, Illinois. Where do I accept God as my Savior? Rockford, Illinois. So God is always, even when we don't realize it, when we can look back at our lives, God has been moving in our lives. The book goes on to say this. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord God grant you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons. Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. See, the first part of Naomi's speech offers a beautiful picture of true love, of tough love. She combines firmness with tenderness. She starts by saying, go back to your mother's house. And this phrase, mother's house, is only used three other places in the Old Testament. Twice in Song of Solomon and once in Genesis. And each of these instances, it involves love and marriage. So here Naomi is saying, I release you, go marry. The firmness of the command to Orpah and Ruth to return to their mother's homes is matched by the tenderness towards them. She expressed in a double blessing. She begins by praying that Yahweh, her God, would demonstrate hassad Kindness is the word that the ESV used towards them. The same as they have demonstrated towards her. Because they didn't leave her after the sons died. You see, first she invokes the name of Yahweh as, as she addresses her Moabite daughters-in-law. Apparently, assuming that the authority of God of Israel extends past the nation's borders. Which we know it does today. But, but that, that would have been a cultural thing there. You know, into the borders of Moab and the territory of Chemosh, the Moabite god. See, on the surface, this prayer seems to express deep faith in Yahweh on the surface. But this impression is soon to be compromised in verse 15, where she gives recognition to the gods of Moab. See, second, this blessing assumes that Yahweh is interested in the affairs of these Moabite families and can be invoked... To deal favorable with these two daughters-in-law. So by doing the, so by doing this, Naomi introduces us to one of the key theological terms in this book. As I said earlier, Hassas. He said, He said, This word is translated kindly. In ESV version. And there is not one English word that can translate that word. It, 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 this is a covenant term. This is wrapping up all of God's positive attributes. Love, covenant, faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness. That all go beyond the requirements of duty. And we're going to see this said kind of of love shown in a few of the characters in this book. Then Naomi goes on to say, Why would you come with me? There is nothing for you if you align with me. It would be foolish for you to come with me. So Orpah kissed Naomi and went back home. To her people and her gods. You see, Orpah makes a sensible choice in the world's eyes. She makes a sensible choice in the world's eyes. See, it's the turning point for Orpah, giving the the marrying age in those days. Orpah would be probably in her early to mid-twenties. When when this is happening, she would be an eligible young woman with a whole life before. She would still have a marital, uh, a maternal instinct, although she is barren at the moment. She didn't have any children with with her husband, so she's considered the alternatives. This is what she considered. I can have Jehovah plus nothing in Bethlehem. Or I can have everything minus Jehovah in Moab. See, Orpah makes her decision. She feels more secure with the latter equation and bases her choice on that. You see, she chooses the familiar the temporal and the visible. How often do we choose, like opera, the things that we can see, touch, and taste? See, we, we go after what we can see and touch and taste and think that that is going to be what makes us happy. If I can have that, I'll be happy. That's what Orpah's doing. Hey, I've got a chance. I could go find the right man now, have babies, have a family. That's going to make me happy. See, just like Orpah, we opt for the world's wisdom a lot of times and turn away from the only true wisdom, the wisdom of God. Verse 15 through 18 goes on to say this. And, he, and she said, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will be, will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Most people say this is the pivotal passage of the whole book of Ruth. That, that vow that Ruth makes to Naomi. But finally, finally, the title figure of this book finally gets mentioned and, and comes into focus. See, the first things we should notice about Ruth is that she is a foreigner outside the covenant community of God. We need to understand that clearly. See, yet she is doing going to be brought into the royal line, the royal line of the king of kings because of God's great grace and her faith in his covenant love. That faith began its life as borrowed faith. See, indeed, faith often starts that way. See, some of us, not me, but some of you may have grown up in a Christian home with Christian parents or grandparents. And they took you to church and you had borrowed faith at that time because it wasn't your own. And But it became yours. Because they cannot, borrowed faith cannot make you a Christian. Borrowed faith cannot make you a Christian. See, unlike a lot of the other world religions you can be born into, you can't be born a Christian. You have to become a Christian. You can grow up in a Christian home. But you are not born a Christian. Not in the sense that you have to to accept his work on the cross. If your parents do a good job, maybe you do that. But there's a lot of people that have grown up in a good church and went to good Bible studies and had good youth pastors and and, and have walked away from God. So it's not always the case. But we should be good representations of what we believe. See, it started off being Naomi's faith. In which Oprah and Ruth shared, but a borrowed faith doesn't get you very far. However, sometimes it beca- it can become your own, and needs to be our own. You see, the more we think about these words that Ruth says to her destitute mother-in-law, the more they become simply unbelievable. See, we ask, why would? Why would Ruth make this kind of commitment to Naomi? I mean, it's crazy. What she's doing is crazy. See, firstly, this commitment means she has to leave all of her family behind. And the land that she's, the only land that she's ever known, and the life that she's known, it's gone. Secondly, it meant as far as Ruth knew, she was going to live a life with no man and never get married and staying childless. Naomi has no man to give her. And if Ruth married a non-relative, her commitment to Naomi would be over. So when she made this vow, she was saying, I can't marry anybody because I'm going to take care of you. And not only that, when I die, when you die, which is going to happen. I'm not going to leave the place where you've been buried. I'm going to stay in the town that you are buried. And I'm going to die there too. She says, I will never ever return home. Not even when you die, Naomi. And that is going to happen one day. But the most amazing commitment of all is this. And and in the text it uses the proper word that, that the, 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 the Israelites would have used for Yahweh. Your God will be my God. I mean in verse 13, Naomi had just said, Don't associate with me. You need to go back home to your gods. My God has afflicted me. And if you associate with me, he'll probably do the same to you. So go back home to your people and your gods. You'll be better off. You see, Naomi's experience of God was bitterness. But despite this, Ruth forsakes her religious heritage and makes the God of Israel her God. See, somewhere she had come to trust in Naomi's God despite Naomi's bitterness. The text goes on to say, And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. This was also about a 75-mile hike for them to do. Can you imagine how dangerous that would have been? Downhill, uphill, downhill, in, in places where... Where, where you was a woman and you was looked at as nothing but property? This was a tough decision that she was making. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, this is Naomi. Ruth displays a radical faith. See, this is where, this is where, if Naomi asks herself, why me? Why has all this happened to me? And and this has been many of our questions too. Why would God let that happen to me? I've done all of this for God. Why would he let this happen? Well, he owes you nothing. He gives you everything. See, and this has been many of our questions today. But if Naomi stopped for a minute and looked, she would see that part of the answer was that God was calling Ruth to be part of his family. See, if, if you found the first chapter of Ruth on the ground, if you were walking down and you just found the first chapter of Ruth on the ground and knew no more about the book, what, what you would read in that chapter, you would wonder why it's not called Naomi. See, why does a book that's entitled Ruth focus on Naomi so much? I will tell you. Because Naomi's story is not about Naomi. It's, not, it's about Ruth. Or more accurately, it's about God bringing Ruth to himself and positioning her life in the ongoing life of his purpose for his world. You see, while Naomi was on her extended stay in Moab, God was plowing now it's time for the harvest to begin. Now God is beginning to reap and Naomi said nothing. See bitterness can make us blind. See in Naomi's mind God is sovereign, but he's not good. And he's not trustworthy. When he whole when he When we hold this attitude of God, when we can't, when he can't be trusted, and he's not good, he's not working for our good. He is not a gracious God. But he is sovereign. This view will always lead to bitterness because God has afflicted me for no reason. And this makes him a jerk. That's the attitude we find we will have if we think like Naomi was thinking. He's sovereign, but he's a sovereign jerk. See, but there's an opposite view to that, that takes the view that God is good, but he's not involved. He's not involved in the hard situations anyway. This view will lead to my suffering has no purpose. There's no goodness and nothing good can come from this. This view, there is just pain without purpose. I have no rock to stand on. And it just hurts. That's the view, the other view. We can have two. That we can think that our, our pain and suffering doesn't have any purpose. But going back to me and my story. I prayed. The day, the, the day before my mum died. I was preaching at the church. And in between services. Because we had two services then. I was preaching on the generosity of God. And in between the service, I called my mum, who I'd spoke to on Wednesday, who couldn't mumble out of anything on Sunday except the most important thing, that she loved me. And this was between services. And I was told that she has 72 hours to live. I came in here and preached again on the generosity of God. And all I asked God for was to keep her alive long enough for me to get there to say goodbye. Changed my ticket. This was Sunday. Couldn't fly out Sunday night because they were already booked. So I got my flight that I already had purchased for four, three weeks from there. And I know that God is omniscient and knows everything. He could have... Had my mum lived till the time I was actually going to be in the country. But I asked God to keep my mum alive. I got a plane ticket. Packed Sunday afternoon. Went to bed. Woke up with a voicemail on my phone. My mum had passed away. All I wanted God to do was keep her alive for 24 hours. And I went to England. I was strong for six weeks for all my family. I came back and I was angry and bitter towards God. Because he couldn't do one thing for me when I asked him. Today, I would say that was a turning point in my faith, by the way. Today. Because God used painful situation in my life, again, because that's how he keeps growing me, he used a painful situation in my life to actually pull me back to him, more serious, more connected, realizing that he doesn't owe me anything. That he allows that stuff to happen sometimes. Sometimes there's pain. Sometimes there's suffering in our lives that will never go away this side of the heaven. But he's going to use it for his glory. Because he created us. He can do whatever he wants with us. If I build something and create it, right, I have control over it, don't I? God made you so he has control over you. He can use you however he chooses. Sometimes that's painful. You see, we have to hold a view of God that says these few things. That God is sovereign, He is all-powerful, He is good, He is gracious, He is loving and kind. And all things are for His purpose and His glory, not mine, not yours. Here's a few passages of Scripture to show you this very thing. Lamentations 3:37 through 38 Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it is it not from the mouth of the most high that god that good and bad come see everything good and bad that's come in my life has to pass through god god can't do anything to me nobody can do anything to me without god saying it's okay Proverbs sixteen nine: The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Look at your life and see how God has orchestrated to this point in time. And Isaiah forty six nine through ten: Remember the former things of old, for I am God. And there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times. Things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Not your purposes. His purposes. And finally Ephesians 1.11 In him. We have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So if we're predestined, we're pre saved. Everybody in here, God knew that you were gonna you were gonna accept him. He chose you. See, no problem, Naomi's problem is that she does not remember what God has done in the past. But there is hope. When did they get back to Bethlehem? Right at the beginning of barley harvest, which would have been in their, their beginning of their year, actually, but their, their spring. They were returning to Bethlehem, and there was hope. And it was standing four feet tall in the fields. The house of bread was being restocked. There was hope. So this week, I want you to pray and ask God to show you where your heart feels bitter towards him. And ask God to heal that pain. Because there's all times in our life that we feel like we're bitter towards God because something didn't go the way we wanted it to go. We need to find them points in our lives. And we need to ask God to heal the pain, but use it to grow us and for His purpose. And then I want you to write down some experiences from your past. When God has done something great in your life. Specifically, if you can think of stuff that when you were struggling. And there was pain in your life. But but you didn't know what was happening when the pain was happening. But afterwards, you've seen how God was using the pain to grow you. To move you forward to a different point in your belief of Him. And how all that He is, the Almighty God who is in control of every situation and then read chapter 2 and join us next week for part 3 of Fields of Grace under God's wings let us pray dear Heavenly Father we thank you today we thank you that you are a God that loves us so much that covers us with your grace even when we do stupid stuff God you allow it to happen so we can learn to trust You more, to follow You more, to hold on to You, the one true God who can, who can guide us and use us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.